As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I think the idea of money is changing. Kids already think about how they store value in a very different way. Yeah. You know, and they, they think about how much gold do I have in my World of Warcraft account or what's my basket of NFTs worth? You know, they're not thinking about so much like cash in the bank or, or even stocks or real estate. You know, it's like I think the digital world's becoming bigger and, and what can count as money or what's like a legitimate store of value. You know, I think that idea is changing. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. How's life? Thank you for tuning in. Again, this week, we have a great show. We are talking crypto with a very special guest, Jesse Powell is on the show. And Jesse is the founder of Kraken, which is one of the world's top crypto exchanges uh they have about a billion dollars in digital currencies that are being bought and sold on the platform every day he employs almost three thousand people and he got started on this whole journey way back many moons ago trading world of warcraft gold runes and other stuff from video games inside video games digital goods so it's been quite the ride and crypto is as usual really interesting these days the prices have gone up uh recovered about 50 percent from the recent lows then you have this whole idea of borderless digital currency that no one controls it's really kind of come into very sharp focus amid russia's invasion of ukraine and the west sanctioning of companies and individuals and just showing how easy it is to basically completely freeze out you know a good part of an entire nation from the global financial system and so just uh it's really kind of been a moment for both crypto believers and also crypto skeptics to kind of show you know how far this still needs to go where the holes are what the potential is all of that anyhow we do cover that as well as jesse's founding story and why he thinks that maybe it will be nfts that become the ultimate gateway drug for crypto for the masses so we cover a lot of ground it's just a fascinating world i think um anytime we do anything on crypto people seem to really dig it so i hope you do dig this one as well and we're going to get to it right now so please enjoy my chat with jesse powell founder of cryptocurrency exchange kraken enjoy so there's obviously lots and lots to talk about with crypto. But before we get into that, can we get a, a potted history of you 
like how you got into this whole world in the first place. And then we can pick up all the, you know, the very interesting things that are happening in this world and with Kraken. Yes, it was a long time ago now, you know, this is over 11 years ago at this point. So from 2001 to 2011, I had a company selling virtual items and currencies for online games. Which games? Uh, World of Warcraft, RuneScape, Diablo 2, Diablo 3, MapleStory, EverQuest, long list of old games. So I take it you were a gamer yourself? Yeah. I first found out about this like secondary market for virtual goods at a tech support job that I had working at an internet service <laughs> provider when I was like 18. And uh, right. all the guys there were playing Ultima Online, which was sort of like one of the very first MMOs with, with this like secondary market. And, uh, you know, I found out these guys were like buying and selling these items. And, you know, there, there were items that were like, that would no longer drop in the game that were worth more, like, you know, this black die kit, you know, that was really special. And uh, they had these castles that were worth thousands of dollars. And I just thought this was like totally insane. Thousands of dollars of real world money. Yeah, for a virtual castle. Uh, which And then you could decorate that castle with all sorts of other like knickknacks and things that, that were worth money. So I thought that was fascinating. And then a few years later, I didn't do anything about it at the time, but a few years later, Diablo 2 came out. And uh, I thought like, I'm going to see if I could make some money at this game. I found out that there was you know also the same things happening. You could sell these items on eBay. And uh, early on in the game, you could make a lot of money just by playing it manually, knowing which monsters to kill, and you could make $25 an hour plus. So you kill the right monsters, get the right kind of digital booty, so to speak, and then put a list it on eBay. Yeah, exactly. And so I was doing that for a while and making pretty good money as a college student playing video games. So, you know, it was a pretty nice job. And then I figured out, like, there's actually this pretty big disconnect between the prices of things on eBay and the prices of things inside the game. And um, Diablo 2 didn't really have like a uniform currency. You know, it had like the, like the gold in the game was pretty much worthless. And so it was like a barter system. And there were items that were used as currency items, basically, like certain rings or certain runes uh, had like a currency value. And so that kind of like complicated the valuation of, of things a bit. So I discovered that like inside the game, there are these items called Stone of Jordan, which is this ring. And the ring in the game was basically worth like a $20 item. You could trade it for like a $20 item, but you could buy these rings off of eBay for like $5 each. So I started to do this ARB where I would buy a bunch of the rings off eBay for like $5 each, trade them for different items in the game, which were worth like $20 each and um, list those items on eBay like quadruple my money and then do the trade again. So that was going pretty well until I met a guy who was selling a lot of these rings on eBay. And I was like, how are you getting all these rings? And he was like, oh, I have this exploit that I just like make whatever items I want. And for those at home who don't know what an exploit is, what's an exploit? So yeah, I mean, they're all, all varieties of exploits inside a game, but it's basically a way to do something the game's technically not supposed to do. The most valuable exploits were those that allowed you to just create items out of nothing. You know, basically it's like a printing press for, for virtual goods. So, you know, this guy had, had this exploit and um, I made a deal with him to start basically uh, selling me items wholesale. I forgot to mention, I skipped the part where I basically had built a website to do this as well outside of eBay to sell these items. And um, I had a bunch of other sellers on there in the beginning, but after I met this guy, we just made a deal for him to basically be my, my sole supplier of items. And um, 
we just like went into business, you know, selling all these things directly. So that went really well for a while. And, and it went even better after eBay banned all of the, the sale of virtual goods for games. Oh, and, and everyone was kicked off of eBay and everyone that didn't have a website already made to sell these things, you know, pretty much lost out. And so it really concentrated and consolidated the business, the whole industry into the hands of a few guys that already had these e-commerce websites up to sell this stuff and, and capture all this flow from eBay. So I was fortunate to, to be there at the time. You know, we started to expand into other games beyond Diablo 2. And for some games, we had exploits. For other games, we were buying items from people, you know, sort of a broker. And for some, we had like suppliers in China or Eastern Europe who were, you know, literally like they're called like gold farmers, guys like in low wage geos playing the game, which eventually evolved into guys who were running bots to play the game. And, you know, one guy supervising a hundred bots playing the game. So it escalated pretty quickly. And so you were doing that. And then, so how does that lead to a crossover into crypto? Yeah, I was doing that for about 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, from 2001 to 2011. Wow. And so that was how you paid the bills? Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a great business. It was pretty much a lifestyle business. You know, by the end, we had most things automated. And when I started cracking, I sold my share of the business to a business partner. And he continued to run it for a few years after that. But you know, we had like 50 employees at the peak. And oh wow, uh, we did like $10 million a year in revenue, which was like 90% profit. Oh my gosh. Uh, so it was a pretty good business for, for a while. I think the game companies have gotten better about monetizing this stuff themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but did that for 10 years and then read about Bitcoin. And I was like, maybe this is another virtual currency we can offer for sale. You know, the business was called Loot. L-E-W-T. When you said you read about Bitcoin, was it the, the white paper or just you started to hear about it kind of in the ether? Because I imagine if you were in this digital goods game, it probably came across your radar pretty early. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't come across my radar earlier. So I didn't read about it until early 2011. And it was just in some random blog or something. And that one article got me going down the rabbit hole. And you know, I found Bitcoin Talk and I read the white paper and, you know, I quickly started thinking that like, you know, okay, this is maybe more than like another World of Warcraft gold. I was aware of other attempts at making like a global currency, you know, like e-gold, for example, which always ran into regulatory problems. But as I started reading more about Bitcoin, I thought, wow, this maybe could really like be the world's currency. You know, I became really like just obsessed with Bitcoin and you know, it also like solved a bunch of problems for the business practically that we were having with selling digital goods. That's like the fees on transactions, you know, at the time Bitcoin fees were basically zero chargebacks, you know, and it's just a constant problem for selling anything digital is just credit card chargebacks. We obviously had a lot of customers all over the world who didn't have credit cards. So sometimes people would want to use Western Union, which was like super expensive or yeah, yeah, yeah. you get like kids want to buy virtual goods. And that was always a problem because they're unbanked as well. Totally. And they have to borrow their parents' credit card, which they usually like, you know, they'll write down the number and then use it 10 extra times. Um, and the parents <laughs> blame you for that. <laughs> and we also had suppliers that were selling us all these items. And there was a time where we were sending $100,000 a week to China to buy World of Warcraft gold. And um, the guys in China needed Chinese yuan ultimately. And we were collecting payments in dollars. And uh, they can only convert 50,000 US dollars a year per person into Chinese yuan. So that meant every week we needed two new people to do this trade. So, you know, over the course of the year, 
your over a hundred people to do this. And that was a massive hassle. And you always have this like counterparty risk of doing this trade. You know, you're like trusting someone's cousin totally to like do this for you. So, you know, I just thought like, wow, Bitcoin for the business, if we were just to start accepting Bitcoin, if we could get people to pay us in Bitcoin instead of PayPal or credit cards or Western Union, this would just be a massive improvement. You know, we wouldn't have to worry about all these problems. Yeah. So, you know, I understood that there was like a real business case for it. And then I also started just like learning more about how the fiat currency system actually works. And, you know, I didn't realize before Bitcoin really how much of a scam and how rigged the whole system is. So I started getting into that and then I just became like, you know, obsessed with like Bitcoin changing the world and replacing fiat currencies and everybody using Bitcoin for everything. And so do you think that's going to happen? I think Bitcoin will become like a replacement for gold as like a reserve currency and as a store of value for at least like, you know, the average person. I know way more people that are holding Bitcoin. I'm probably biased, but I think that trend will continue. And yeah, I do think if not Bitcoin, you know, people might have a basket of a few different cryptos depending on what they're doing. I think some chains do some things better than others. And, you know, just like if you're traveling around, if you're doing different things, if you're buying NFTs or engaged in, in GameFi or doing different things in DeFi, or if you just want to store your value or make payments, you know, you might be using different chains or currencies for each of those things. So I, I do think that at some point, probably most payments in the world will be handled through blockchain somehow. And it may be off chain, maybe, you know, in a, in a second layer or you know, third layer or offline solution, but ultimately settled in crypto. Right, right, right. So what is Kraken and how and when did you start it? So Kraken is a mostly a crypto exchange, uh, but we're we're kind of broadening our service offering. Like, you know, we're doing staking now. We're, we're, I think, the world leader in Ether staking. Stake, you know, a ton of different assets. We are running parachain auctions. We've got an NFT marketplace launching soon. So we're becoming more and more of a sort of portal for crypto, not just trading anymore, which is, is where we started, was trading a bunch of coins. And you know, we, we now have over, over 100 currencies that we trade. So we're getting broader, you know, we really see ourselves as, as being sort of a gateway and a portal to things happening in, in the world of Web3 and DeFi, you know, providing an interface and a great user experience, great customer service around some of these things that might still be like pretty complicated or don't really have like a great native interface for consumers to engage with. So you're, you're kind of uh, in the same world as Coinbase or Binance, these kind of big exchanges. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty broad offering. And uh, we also have a banking license uh, in Wyoming. So we're in some ways going backwards. <laughs> when did you get the banking license? Last year. Uh, so we're still not fully online. You know, we just got recently assigned our, our routing number. So now we're waiting on a Fed master account. Right, right. So the Fed's been holding up that process for us and the other applicant, which is Avanti. So we'll see if we ever get these Fed master accounts. They've been dragging their feet. And I think they're they're worried about... You know, once they give it to us, I think the floodgates will be open. What do you mean? I think they're afraid they'll have to give out a lot more licenses to a lot more crypto companies. And, you know, the banking system is sort of this like cartel right now. And I, I think it's used as a, a choke point for all sorts of things. And so I think they don't like to give out banking licenses because they like to have fewer companies to worry about. You know, it's an easier job of regulating. And I think they want to have more control over the system. And I think they're legacy institutions that are worried about competition. So if you get the Fed approval, which you're waiting for, what does that mean? What will that allow you to do that you can't do today? So right now we have the license, we have a routing number. 
we could partner with another bank that has the FedMaster account. I mean, so what we can't do by ourselves is actually hold the funds with the Fed. So we need a partner bank, essentially, that has that FedMaster account. So when you say you can't hold the funds with the with the Fed, what does that actually mean for, you know, average man in the street in terms of what they can and can't do with you? It means basically they can't send us money directly. We would have to have a partner bank that basically is like the the ultimate bank of record that that can receive the funds through the the Fed wire system. So like if you're at Bank of America or something, until we have that Fed master account, you can't just like send us funds directly. So how do people like buy and sell crypto on your platform then? Oh, so yeah, for now we have banking partners and payment processors. I see, I see, I see, I see. You know, so this will like eventually if, if once we get the Fed master account, we won't technically need to have a banking partner. We'll, like, we will be a full bank and you can have your paycheck deposited directly into your Kraken account with a normal routing number and account number and debit card and checkbook and all of that stuff. Right. So we're just missing that final step right now. Um, this reliance on banking partners has been a major hassle for the whole industry since the beginning. And uh, I think there are a lot of banks that still don't understand the risk profile or how to evaluate the risk of cryptocurrency transactions. And today, I mean, you still see people getting their bank accounts shut down because they bought Bitcoin somewhere. And uh, so Kraken Bank would at least be a bank of last resort, you know, for those people. We obviously understand the risks of crypto and understand how to control for all that and keep the regulators happy. So it would be a bank that if your bank shuts you down or if you just want to be directly on the exchange, you know, you want to have your paycheck deposited and automatically converted into to Bitcoin, you know, it'd be something that you could do through Kraken Bank. And how are we feeling about crypto today? World's a really interesting place. You know, we got up to, Bitcoin got up to 70 grand or ish. Then it dropped to 30 and now it's up to 47 because it makes me think of a couple things. One, it does feel like it's gaining acceptance for more and more people. However, more as a store of value and not as that kind of the original conception, which was this peer-to-peer, you know, way to, you know, exchange a value because nobody wants to be the person who, you know, uses Bitcoin to buy thing X and then Bitcoin then goes up. 10x in the next two years and like oh my god this is the most expensive house or car or whatever that i've just bought yeah i think everyone everyone in bitcoin has a story like that you know i'm sure think back about some some lunches that i what's your what's yours come on you have to have a good one like this well i put a lot of money into the business early on you know tens of thousands of coins tens of thousands of bitcoin yeah that oh my uh, god you know at, at like two dollars a coin or something like that, you know, sold it to fund. fund so in other words, you liquidated those to then fund the business. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that was a good trade. I mean, I'm, the business is doing well. Well, because well. then, yeah, if you could have just literally sat, if you could have, you could have go worked at McDonald's for a few years <laughs> and then never worked again. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I mean, from my perspective back in 2011, I mean, it's back to your question of like, why start the exchange? And instead of just, you know, hodling for, for the next decade, you know, at the time, this is coming right off the heels of of a hack of Mt. Gox in June of 2011. And when Gox went offline, they had 99% of all the Bitcoin trading volume. Yeah. And uh, it was a complete disaster. They were offline for several days and nobody knew what was going to happen. I mean, that was pretty scary to, you know, it was a wake up call that, you know, we're, we're very centralized uh, for, for a decentralized movement um you know we're, we're very reliant on one business yeah so i went to the mount cox office for about a week and a half and helped them 
get back on their feet there, but came away from that experience thinking that, okay, there's got to be more than one exchange. And if we're going to take Bitcoin mainstream, like someone has to really like do this the right way and be completely legit and, you know, be a good example for the industry. So regulators don't freak out and uh, try to crack down on this. So, you know, that was like that experience is really kind of what drove me to have the idea to start the exchange. And, you know, prior to that, I was doing some mining and other dabbling and like trying to get video game people to to use crypto to trade their virtual goods and stuff. But after Gox, you know, I really felt like the world needed a really legit exchange. And, um, you know, fortunately had some capital from the last business and um, was able to finance it early on and, you know, get it pretty far on the money that we had. And I, I think it's obviously worked out pretty well uh, in hindsight. Yeah. I don't know what the best number to think about is in terms of Kraken's size, but you know, what is Kraken today? Yeah, we're, let's see, we're like 2,600 people or something last time I checked. 2,600? Actually, okay, we're almost 2,900 now. Wow. The average day now just for Kraken is over a billion dollars of, of trading. Yeah. You know, there's some early days where just the quantity of Bitcoin traded was just like absolutely obscene. You know, you'd see like hundreds of thousands or like millions of Bitcoin traded in a single day. Wow. You know, it's just because Bitcoin was, it was like a dollar or something, you know? Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, in terms of dollars, like the volume across the whole industry is up tremendously. And, um, I think that's just going to be a trend that continues. Um, so, but just looking at Kraken in a vacuum, yeah, volumes are up a lot. Um, the number of active users trading is up tremendously, you know, number of user accounts is up tremendously. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, that's what I think is, an, the, for me, the most interesting metric is how many people are using this. And uh, this occurred to me when I was writing about, 
you know, over the past six, nine months, writing a lot about NFTs because NFTs were all of a sudden a thing and everybody was very excited and interested. And you had all these stories about, you know, JPEG X that someone bought and then sold a year later for a million dollars or many millions. But when you look at the, certainly the last time I checked, which was uh, some months ago, the difference between the amount of press NFTs were getting and the actual number of people who were buying and selling NFTs was dramatic. In other words, it was a pretty small circular economy. (laughs) So what are you seeing in terms of crypto? Because again, it feels like a lot of crypto is just kind of hard still just to use it, to understand it, even to buy an NFT. There's a lot of steps involved. It just feels, still feels very hard and limited, but what is your sense from being on the coalface in terms of actual user growth and who are those users? You know, I think it depends on like the time in the cycle. You know, when you see the price going up like 10% every day, you get a lot of just randos off the street, you know, chasing yeah. the FOMO. And when you're in more of like a bear market or things are, are stale, yeah, I think you, you really see more of like the actual use case, like real flows, you know, real transactions being settled with crypto or you, know, you see who's really using crypto to solve like real world problems, like, you know, remittances where where Bitcoin might actually be the cheapest path or payments where you got to send someone a million dollars on a Saturday night and you can't really do that through. I have that problem all the time, <laughs> like literally every Saturday. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know uh, what kind of what kind of blackmail materials are out there. It's a bad problem. You know, so I, I think you, you get a better sense of like what the real activity is in the bear markets. And in the bull markets, you know, it's it's a lot of speculation. And, you know, as you mentioned with NFTs, also a lot of speculation, also a lot of shenanigans, I guess. You know, I mean, it's all it's all transparent and out in the open for anyone who wants to see. But like clearly, you know, there are people like sweeping the floors of NFTs, you know, buying them all and trying to flip them and trying to generate all this hype. Yeah around projects, uh, you know, so that they can flip their NFTs. And, you know, there's like definitely a lot of empty projects that are just kind of cash grabs that that you need to be careful of, just like ICOs. Totally. You know, like anything. So uh, you can't really trust the volume numbers. I mean, just as with if a new exchange appears, you know, it's one guy with two accounts and zero fees can generate infinite volume just by trading with himself all day. And the same goes for NFTs. You know, I think you see a lot of trading happening a guy with two wallets trading with himself all day, you know, raising the price of his NFTs um, back and forth, you know, and you can see it clearly uh, on the chain. But but in terms of, I don't know if you can put any figures on just like the, the volume of users that you guys have seen increase, because I do think if this is to become, you know, mainstream, it has to be obviously used by a lot of people, um, whether that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it may be. So what does that curve look like, at least from where you guys sit? Yeah, I, I think adoption is different all over the world. You know, like people in North America don't really have a super strong use case for crypto for day-to-day payments. Obviously, I think for, you know, as Canada has proven recently, there's clearly a strong use case there for having a, an insurance policy, you know, a backup plan for when you're like mistakenly associated with a, a protest or something and your bank account's frozen. Are you you're talking about the uh, the the freedom convoy of the freedom convoy? Yeah, yeah, they froze the bank accounts, and also they were freezing accounts of, at crypto exchanges as well. So, you know, if people were found to be associated with the convoy, you know, I think whether actively or passively or mistakenly, or they just happened to be handing out cookies 
in the vicinity of the trucker convoy, you know, people were flagged and had their bank account confiscated essentially, like without any due process at all. So that's a pretty bad position to be in. And I think it's a, an example that I didn't think we would, we would have like, you know, in the West, especially not in Canada, you know, anytime. Well, that's what I think is really interesting though, which kind of in my mind raises an interesting kind of a, why now is an interesting time in crypto because it's by its very nature decentralized. However, because of just the nature of the technology, effectively, you need an app to access it. You need a platform, which is by its nature centralized. <laughs> and so you can have, you can exert pressure on yourselves, Coinbase, whomever. And obviously, this was attempted, especially in relation to Russia, of saying, okay, stop allowing all trading in Russia or let's freeze the accounts of X, Y, and Z. So why is crypto better? If at the end of the day, most people are, unless you're kind of, you know, highly sophisticated, you're using an exchange which is subject to the same pressures as a bank would be or any other company. Yeah, great question. And you're you're right that all of the exchanges, the centralized exchanges, you know, Kraken's regulated all over the world. We have licenses, we're, you know, heavily supervised and we're not all going to go to prison to make a principled stance, you know, about you know, not following sanctions rules or, or not following a court order or anything like that. Yeah. You know, if we do get a court order and, you know, we always make sure these are legal and legit and everything is above board. Um, you know, it says like shut down someone's account. We just have to do that. And there might not be any notice about it. And, um, you know, I think people that are worried about that kind of thing, uh, you know, I always say like, don't leave more on the exchange than you need to trade because, something like this could always happen. And, you know, also we've seen hacks of exchanges, you know, as, as secure as people might think exchanges are, you know, I think it's been a while before there's been this real like existential kind of like killer hack of an exchange. But I think newer people might not have that awareness of like, you know, a Mt. Gox style kind of event that just like blows up the whole exchange. And, you know, we're still in the bankruptcy process, right? Like, what is it like eight years later? Mount Gox process is still going. It's still going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, everyone that had their coins in there, 80% of the funds were lost in the hack and the other 20% have been caught up in the bankruptcy proceeding for eight years. Well, that's really interesting because over those eight years, those coins are, are worth, I don't know how many times they would have been worth at the time that it all went to, to pot. Yeah. It was like $400 at the time that it went down. So- Bitcoin was at 400. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean if you get your coins back, you're you're up, right? You're up a uh, 100x. So you lost you lost oh 80% gosh. off the top, but your 20% that you had left is up 100x. So you made out pretty well in the grand scheme of things. Of course, you didn't have access to your money in that time, and you know, if you had a mortgage to pay <laughs> or anything, you were in screwed. Really bad shape. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, something like that could always happen. And, you know, I think people need to be aware of that. And, you know, the great thing about crypto is that you have the blockchain and you have self-custody as a last resort, you know, and I wouldn't tell my grandma to go set up a self-custodial wallet and manage her private keys and like, you know, shard her keys and set up multi-sig and all this stuff. I would just say like, go set up a Kraken account because that's just like infinitely easier for you. And, you know, you're not managing millions of dollars and you're not worried about corrupt governments coming to like steal the money out of your account or whatever. 
you know, so I think for most people, for the average consumer, it's a perfectly acceptable system. And they always have the option to withdraw the money and hold it themselves, which, you know, if you're going to do that with cash, like we're talking about like stuffing cash under your mattress or keeping cash, uh, you know, like buried under a tree or something like that, you know, you can't really do it with cash that well. And, you know, you also can't split cash up in a multi-sig setup where, or where you have keys on different continents or things like that, you know, so it's not very secure either. You can't really secure all the cash under your mattress the way that you can secure self-custody crypto. So that's a huge innovation. And I think the importance of that rail of last resort, I think is is really the, the key differentiator. And so, yes, like I think for convenience sake, it's easier for most people to use a centralized service. Obviously, you know, with a company like Kraken, it's easier to buy Bitcoin. You know, you can give us your credit card. You can buy Bitcoin with a credit card. There has to be this kind of bridge from the old world into the new. You know, you can't just go on chain credit card to Bitcoin directly. Yeah. So you need that kind of middle layer. But but then once you have the coins, it's up to you if you want to self-custody or not. And, you know, I think one of the great things about crypto that we see play out, like with the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy, with what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, is, you know, whether it be at the government coming for your your funds or just like in a case of mass exodus where a lot of people need cash at the same time, what you see is like everyone trying to get out of Ukraine or people trying to get out of Russia, the banks are suddenly closed, the ATMs are all out of cash, lines are around the block three days long, you know, and like, what are you going to do? Like, you think you can get your money out of the bank when you need it, but actually you might not be able to, you know, even if it's not like, there's nothing corrupt happening. It's just like the bank physically runs out of cash or the ATM physically runs out of cash. And like, you've only got like six hours before like, you know, the missiles start hitting wherever you're at. So you kind of just have to leave everything behind. So, you know, Bitcoin, you can take with you in your brain uh, on a USB drive in any number of ways. And so, you know, it's this great insurance policy to have and this great rail of last resort that will be there for you when, when this centralized legacy system fails or hits a bottleneck or or is weaponized uh, somehow. Do you think ultimately that whatever, the dollar will fail, will go away or the euro or the pound or the yuan? I mean, is that the kind of the background context of what you're working on, what you're seeing, what you're working toward? Yeah, I think eventually, you know, if you just look historically, these currencies have a finite life. It's changed over time. You know, the U.S. dollar is is relatively new in history. You know, I think it's coming up kind of on on that time where where currencies tend to rotate out. And uh, you know, the, the dollar that we have now is not the dollar that we started with. You know, which was backed by gold. The dollar that we have now is just a piece of paper backed by nothing. So I don't think that's you know that's definitely not hard money. I think that people will you know, are, are obviously seeking out hard money, especially given the inflation that we're seeing now, you know, nobody wants to be holding dollars with inflation at, you know, official rate at like seven or 8%, you know, the practical rate, if you're looking at the cost of like real goods, like food and energy being up like 30 plus percent, you know, the dollar just seems like a, a very terrible, you know, look at the chart over time is, I mean, it's just guaranteed to lose money. But I think whether the dollar or any national currency can maintain relevance over time compared to better money like Bitcoin or or even Ether. And I think it's 
yet to be seen. You know, we still have like local currencies that are out there that like towns will use or that, you know, you use like Chuck E. Cheese tokens, you know, when you go into the <laughs> venue, like they, they use their currency for whatever reason, you know, to support local businesses or, or something like that. And, um, you know, I think you could still see dollars being used domestically. You know, I think whether you continue to see the rest of the world use dollars to settle trades, um, or as a store of value. I mean, I, I think the writing is on the wall now. I mean, just look at what's happening with, with Russia and all these, these countries that are sanctioned, they're setting up an alternate system, you know, and, and they don't like that the dollar and the swift wire system has become weaponized and politicized. And, um, you know, I think people, they want to have neutral money. Is there an argument though, that that's actually, it's okay to have a system that everybody uses and that can be weaponized if some country does something so egregious and this can be used as a way to kind of stop them that if we all agree we put all of our might together and effectively freeze out a country who's doing something just horrendous there's a power in that and it's a tricky line to walk but it is there is a power there that can be exerted that something like bitcoin in its purest sense you know you can't yeah well you know i think if a country has a problem with what another country is doing, they can already just refuse to do trade with that country, right? Like, why does it take the United States telling China, you can't trade with Iran or Russia? Why does it have to be one country doing that? If you want to say like the whole world, like, okay, it takes like a super majority vote of all the countries in the world, you know, to, to do this or something, maybe, but that's not the case right now. I mean, it's pretty much one country controlling the money of the world. Uh, you know, the dollar as the world's reserve currency and the U.S. having control over SWIFT and the U.S. using the leverage that it has there to to impose rules on trade between two other countries that, that might be friends and, you know, happy to trade. Right, right. And then on the company, Kraken itself, you're 2,900 people and you started this uh, 11, is it 11 years ago? Is that right? Yeah, almost when 11 you, years ago. Yeah. yeah, July 2011. And did you take outside money ever? We did, yeah. So we've raised about $20 million total since the beginning. Uh, so yeah, like, I mean, very low amount of money relative to some other guys yeah. out there. We've been pretty lean. Most of our investors are like OG crypto guys because you know we the last real round we did was uh, like 2014. Very hard to, to raise money back then. Um, I think still is is getting easier. Um, but still you just encounter investors all the time who just have no idea about crypto, uh, or no idea how to value crypto exchanges. And, you know, I think we see that even in the public markets, you know, I think it took a while for people to get a handle on how to value the Coinbase stock. You know, I still think that they don't really understand kind of the potential and positioning of some of the companies, you know, and, and, and with the stage that we're in, you know, I think we're just like really, really early still. And I think the companies that own the infrastructure in this space are just going to see like, you know, tremendous growth. And I think everyone that doesn't have this infrastructure in a few years from now, five years from now, is just going to be obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah, obsolete. And so when people, when you're talking about this infrastructure, what infrastructure are you talking about particularly? In other words, who today, if, if they don't have it, will be obsolete in five years? I think, you know, legacy banks, legacy financial institutions that are basically middlemen. They'll be the walking dead. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I, I mean, I think it's going to be bookstores without an e-commerce platform. 
Right. And when you talk about the the infrastructure that they will need, what infrastructure are you talking about specifically? Oh, it's going to be like the ability to interface with DeFi. With cryptocurrencies. Yeah. You know, there, there's more things that, that you can outsource now, obviously, than, than you were able to outsource 10 years ago. But custody, for example, or you can obviously get liquidity for a, a brokerage service from exchanges. But the more you outsource, the more dependent you are on those partners and you know, you, you lack the ability to, to move quickly or, you know, to get ahead of your competition maybe uh, by doing something novel. So, you know, I think these guys are going to, to end up buying a lot of services from the guys that do own the crypto infrastructure or, you know, eventually fading away. And I think whether they can continue to capture the younger audience, I think the idea of money is changing kids already think about how they store value in a very different way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they, they think about how much gold do I have in my World of Warcraft account or what's my basket of NFTs worth? You know, they're not thinking about so much like cash in the bank or, or even stocks or real estate. You know, it's like, I think the digital world's becoming bigger and, and what can count as money or what's like a legitimate store of value. You know, I think that idea is changing. And um, I think that the crypto exchanges are already kind of at the forefront of, of what's happening. And, and I think that appeals a lot more to, to the younger audience. So I think we'll be capturing the majority of these people that are just kind of aging into financial services. You know, they're, they're teenagers now and they're becoming, you know, adults and looking now for like, where am I going to store my wealth or like, how am I going to make my payments? I don't think they're going to like legacy financial institutions. You know, I think they're saying, well, I already have, I already have like all my money in my Kraken account, you know, I already have all this Bitcoin, like I need to buy NFTs or I need to like participate in DeFi. Like my bank account doesn't support that. So it's a hassle to get money out of my bank account and into my crypto wallet. So I think they're not going to be able to capture like the younger audience. It's going to be engaged in all this stuff in DeFi and with crypto. So I think it's going to be really tough for them to catch up. And, you know, at this point they're, they're 10 years behind. Yeah. And is there a next moment that you think because it feels like crypto is, a, is an industry in particular that kind of goes almost i know that a lot of stuff just keeps happening in the background but it feels like there's like these moments every few years where you know a bunch of people like you know it's the classic when your uber driver starts talking to you about his nfts or a few years ago when he started talking to you about his bitcoin holdings or oh yeah i've got litecoin or whatever do you see a kind of a, a use case, a geopolitical event as something as the kind of, and I don't know, maybe now is one of those moments in terms of what you're seeing, but the kind of the next thing that might get you to that ultimate goal where this does kind of break through to the mainstream in a real way and people are like, okay, this is here to stay. It's real. This is the new model. Yeah, tough question. I, I think it probably depends on which country you're in. You know, I would guess that like the people of Venezuela or you know, Ukraine or Russia probably look at it very differently than we do here. And, you know, it, it sucks that we have to, like, it's it's these, like, terrible examples of things happening in the world that, like, tend to drive a lot of people to crypto, like countries freezing bank accounts or sanctions or wars breaking out. It really shows people, like, a real use case for crypto, you know, in, in these moments. You know, I think that use case obviously drives adoption. But, you know, is there a way that we can we can bring more people into the system, like, before those bad things happen, you know, just as a casual matter of, you know, adding crypto to their lives like they do stocks or something. And I think it's happening. You know, I think that we're like really at the early stages of GameFi. 
I think you're going to see a lot more people like basically get into crypto through, through games, through like, you know, some assets in the game being tokenized and they need to have a wallet that's, you know, supports DeFi to engage with this stuff. And, you know, that's going to be a gateway for them. Right. I think NFTs just broadly are going to be used for all sorts of different things, like tracking provenance on physical goods or, you know, certificates of authenticity, hopefully eventually title to cars and houses and things like that, that are a hassle to track, maybe concert tickets. I think NFTs are really going to crack it open. Right, right, right. Well, we shall see. It'll be really interesting to watch, but I think it's, uh, I feel like the whole crypto experience is like looking at an EKG. It's very up and down. <laughs> but um, it does seem like over the long term, that direction is generally up and to the right. <laughs> so we'll see if it continues. Yeah, I don't I don't pay attention to the, the charts on a daily basis. You know, the, the roller coasters in the past have, have hardened me. So, you know, price going I'm sure. up or down 50%. I'm just like... Whatever. Like, Whatever. tell me when it moves. You're like, I sold tens of thousands of Bitcoin at two bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, look, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch up with you um, maybe in another six months or year and see, see how things are going. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Jesse for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for the occasional tips through uh, the ACAST creator feature always appreciated and that is it for me this week i'm actually not writing in the paper this week i'm actually on holiday so doing this um you know in between uh trips to the beach etc but yeah we'll be back next week with more stuff uh, a fabulous new episode i actually know what it is and it's really good you guys will really enjoy it so in the meantime please do check out the times thetimes.co.uk. My colleagues are doing fabulous work there. Or you can find me on Twitter. I might be tweeting. I might not. I'm on vacay, like I said. At Danny Fortson or email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for me this week. Have a fabulous weekend and talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.